my goodness. Hello and welcome. Uh, welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving, successful, creative, heart-centered business and life. I'm here today with Portia Michelle. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> Portia is a creator, community leader, and coach that spends her time coaching companies on creating thriving, profitable communities and coaching spiritual and impact-driven entrepreneurs on their performance and mindset, as well as gathering groups of black and queer folks to celebrate joy, art, and bomb-ass food in Vegas. Really fun. Every time. We do love it. We love a gathering experience. Thank you for being here. Oh, especially post-COVID. We love a gathering experience. Oh, God. It's like I forgot almost how to do it. Miss people so much. I'm so glad to be here with you. I know we're not post-COVID yet. Sorry, people. Like, I just, my wishful thinking. We're still in the shits, but we're acting like we're not. No one knows what's happening. There's a whole new war. Who even knows? Welcome. Happy Friday. (laughs) Welcome. Happy Friday. And I'm on Zoom, so I don't have on a mask. I love you anyway. Yes, we do. we're not masked, but we're not even in the same state. So we're definitely more than six feet up. <laughs> Don't come for us. Don't add us. Right, please. So it is Pisces season. And I've mentioned before on the podcast, Pisces is a water sign. But in the elemental entrepreneurship realm, we treat Pisces season as a spirit season. Since Pisces is the final sign on the wheel of the Zodiac, the culmination of all of the knowledge of the signs before, and it likes to hang out in the etheric, in-between liminal realms. And so we are really into all things spirit right now. And Portia and I, we're spirit friends. I don't know. We found each other on Instagram. (laughs) Truly. Yeah. It was like soul, soul, we should be friends. (laughs) And I love those connections. And we were both having that feeling about each other and then both DM'd each other and giddily realized that we felt the same way about each other. Uh, And we uh, hopped on a Zoom call just to talk and get to know each other. And uh, and I told Portia on that call, like, oh, I'm going to have you on my podcast, but I don't know what for. I just knew the second I saw you, I was going to have you on my podcast. And, um, and then we talked about doing something uh, where we really discussed the ways that spiritual entrepreneurs in particular have a set of challenges they face that other types of entrepreneurs don't. And what better time to have you on to really get into that than Pisces season. So I'm so excited that we're here today. So I'm going to just let you take the floor for a second and share some of like what your thoughts are about the challenges that spiritual entrepreneurs face that other entrepreneurs do not. Oh, love, 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 love. Also, as a Pisces moon, we love that I got chosen in Pisces season. My favorite season of the year, truly. Um, Wait, that is an important thing. We like to talk about that top of show. If you want to share with the girls your sun, moon, rising, and your human design uh, type and authority, if you know it. Oh, fantastic. So Libra sun, Pisces moon, Taurus rising, a generator gang gang sacral authority. That's as much as I know. <laughs> and y'all may know this about me, but in case you don't, this was a bonding moment for Portia and I because I am a Taurus sun and rising with a Libra moon and stellium, also a generator with sacral authority. And so when we found that out, we were like, oh, that's why. That's why I saw you and I was like, you. <laughs> and you will be my person in person you will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we've gotten the important details <laughs> out of the way, go ahead. Spiritual entrepreneurs. It is. It's a different beast. It's a different beast. And, you know, I've been blessed in the sense that I don't really understand business outside of spiritual entrepreneurship, because this is definitely like being a a business strategist or coach or community strategist was like definitely not on my radar of things to be doing with my life. I just happened to have had a spiritual journey and was a coach and the like life realm and was really in the space of finding my own spiritual journey. And then I learned business. So the people that I was learning business and doing business with were spiritual entrepreneurs. And it just is a different leap than the average, you know what I mean, product business or the average sales business. Because I'm over here having conversations with my clients about like that ghost that they saw last night and how they're managing the fact that they were attacked in a dream and it has to have them down for two days. And how are they planning on selling their launch, whether they're in it or not (laughs) during this time? And what are they doing with it? And what are the skill sets of how that moves? And like, there's just, there's so much more that I think that particularly spiritual practitioners that are good at what the fuck they do, the practitioner element 
is so different sometimes than the business element. And there are such particular set of skills you need to be able to plan that bridge and plan it well. And I think folks sometimes will relate to themselves as being bad at their business when because they're such good practitioners. And sometimes they have to kind of, I have found that folks find real success when they are able to figure out what their version of business is that makes space for how they want to be a practitioner. I mean, episode over, really, you've said it all. Um, (laughs) No, and it's so, I love hearing you say that because this is exactly what I talk about also with artists. And I think it's why a lot of the coaching clients who come to me, yes, I am also like a witch and a spiritual practitioner in my own right, but that wasn't what I built my business on. I come from the arts world. And I think there's a lot of crossover in that, like, the skills that it might take you to be a thriving, prolific artist are not necessarily the skills that you need to build a business for your art. They're also really similar in the thing of like, if you cared about this, you would do it for free. Like there's no other business where people will come at you and be like, you should do your job. And the thing that you've spent tens of thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars training in, you should do it for free if you really cared about it, except for the arts and the spiritual world. Um, People thinking that you're like a charlatan or a grifter if you're trying to make money from your craft. Um, And that the the vibe, the mode, the mindset that you need to be in to do the job is like a different, a completely different archetype than who runs your business, right? And I have this with dance, like the place I need to go to choreograph is not the same as the place I need to go to batch content. Those are not the same bitch at all. Exactly. So one thing that you mentioned in there, and I, oh, like there's so many juicy things. But let's go here first because um, I have ADHD and Mercury and Gemini and I spiderweb my my conversations. So let's jump over to one little- Favorite place to play. Let's do it. You said said something about spiritual attacks. And I want to talk for a second about spiritual attacks, especially in the online business realm. And like maybe a little bit of grounding for people who aren't familiar with that idea or especially like- aren't in or don't think they're in (laughs) communities where spiritual attacks are common or that that's a thing that happens. So like, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Ooh, well, first things first, what I I, want to kind of ground in this conversation to say is respect your practitioners. I always find it the funniest thing as like a salesy marketing girl that is in the realm of people who are shamans, healers, conjurers, like the conversation around the folks you go to, to do your spiritual work for you. People forget that that person still has to navigate a whole ass life to do your spiritual work. You're coming to them with your motherfucking sex demons. What you think they doing with the demon? What do do you think it is that that's not being dropped off at their house? And that's a whole nother situation that then has to be dealt with. You couldn't even deal with it by your goddamn self. Hence the fact that you overbought somebody else to come and do it for you. And don't even think through that, like, that's something that they're going to have to manage as well. And I don't think that in any other industry, you really have to think about it the same way. It's almost like maybe therapists. And I think it's a similar thing when I have friends who are therapists, like, the level of care and support your therapist needs to sit all day in a chair and have everyone bring the worst, the hardest, the most traumatic um, experiences of their life and drop them off at their doorstep. That practitioner then leaves with your stuff, you know, and like it takes a very solid practitioner to know how to do their own emotional and energetic support work to like not carry those things home. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think when you think about it in like super, super olden days, the shaman was the person in a community that everybody doted on because clearly that person was holding and managing all of those things. And I think that we don't always think through, um, somebody making nasty comments underneath a video is not quite the same as like having to be, you know what I mean? Having to deal with the burden that it takes to hold your gift sometimes. And the gift in and of itself can be, a practice that's really beautiful and sacred in moments and a practice that's scary as fuck and wildly transformational. Your healer also has to grow. So they got to go through their own stuff to do that growth as well. And some of that is also really ugly. And when I think about like spiritual attacks, particularly like some of the things that I've heard my you know clients come to me with literally 
couple of days ago, my partner called me and was like, so I got attacked by a demon last night in my dream. Um, I'm down for two days. I'm trying to figure out like what it is that I'm doing, you know what I mean, to move my clients around. And then I got my healer on deck, you know, here. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, how are we moving the marketing plan? Let's look at this. But thank God we knew a little bit at least about how to pivot. I think that's the piece that I, I'm, I'm most wanting people to understand is like, if this is a part of what it takes to hold your gift and hold your business, we just make space for it. But you have to know yourself well enough to know that it's a part and then actually make space for it and have other systems and things in place so that you can actually make space for it. But I think so many practitioners don't even relate to it as like something they should think about because it's just a part of their every day. And they're like, well, I'm exhausted. And you don't know that you're exhausted because you're you're, you're doing things at a, a different level. So let's look at where else you can be replenished. Let's look at where else you can be refreshed so that you can maintain this as a scale. It's also such a thing, I think, I don't know if you've noticed this with your clients, some of the most gifted humans burn out because they can't hold it. And like the, the, the world really wants all of your gift. And it's actually really beautiful for you to be able to give yourself what it's going to take to be able to give the world your gift on scale, like more than just three days a week, because we really would like for you to be able to have a thriving life so that you can give your healing to the world. So many people, they're trying so hard to do it right. And not like you said, having the, the thought process of folks being like, you should do it for free. Usually so many of my healers, such big open-hearted humans want to heal humanity, want to give the thing, want to do the thing. But there's so much that comes along with it that if we were talking about it, like uh, somebody that sold a paper company, those would just be business expenses. And I also think it's interesting that you said the world wants all of your gift. And I just want to throw out there, the world wants 100% of your gift and you are completely within your rights as a practitioner to give them 75 and keep it for your damn self. That part. Because the world wants all of our everything, right? Like that's part of, we live in a capitalist society. It is inherently extractive just because there is always more work to be done just because there are always going to be people who want more and more and more from you does not mean you are obligated to give more than you can comfortably give. And like, maybe, maybe you're, maybe your version of success does look like you give your, give your gift three days a week and you have your life structured in a way that the rest of the time you don't. There's that interesting bridge where we then talk about, how do we build a business that supports you not being available four days a week where you're still making money? Because that's a business conversation that's slightly different than like, ooh, this is interesting. Another like practitioner, spiritual practitioner artist crossover is when you come from the freelance or gig world, money comes from your body being in the room, right? Mm -hmm. I make the money. A business is a machine that makes money for you. Mm -hmm. So shifting yourself into a thing where it's like, okay, I'm not, my money doesn't come from only me seeing one-on-one -on -one clients, me running ceremonies, me doing readings, me being in the room. I also made some other products, some other offerings, some more passive income support so that I can replenish my gifts so that I can take care of myself so that I can be doing my own growth work so that I can be taking care of myself. So yeah, there are three days a week that my schedule is open for clients. And then there are four days a week that you can buy anything on my website and leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> that literal part, that part. And I think I find so much the opposite of folks. Most of the people that I see are giving every minute of the day, 24 seven. They're the kind of people who will never turn it off. Yeah. And they, they don't even realize that they're like that there's an off button half the damn time. And, and it's such a breakthrough to be having something like that, build something that you can do and that you still love. And then it actually, like you said, feels good for your life and, and feeds you. And that's why people burn out because they don't yeah. realize that there is a way to build a business. Again, the distinction between building a business and being like a self-employed hustler, right? Is that difference between like, I undercharge, I like am scrambling for work. I work from the moment I wake up until I go to bed seven days a week. You are going to burn out. No one can sustain that. It's not just that a spiritual practitioner and artist can't sustain that. No one can sustain it. At a certain yeah. point, you're going to be like, I would literally rather work at Starbucks than ever see another client ever again. I hate everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, there is a, a third option, which is that you build a machine that makes money for you. 
Yeah. And I would, I would even argue it's more expensive for your spiritual practitioners Mm -hmm. to to burn out at that level. I don't know if you've experienced this. I've absolutely experienced burning myself out to the, so much to the fact that I had my gifts turn off. I I called it like a cooling off period where my spirits go like, okay, we've done it. You've broken the human. Good luck. And you get to go sit by yourself for a month. Like where I'm, you know, trying to be able to call on my clairvoyance, trying to be able to call on those skills that I would use on a call. And I'm just dead because I've hit it too hard. Like, and, and fried. I'm, you can't see me if you're listening to this, but I just got very excited on the video. Um, because I think what you just tapped into when you said you broke the human is that we cannot forget spiritual practitioners and also like people who want to be superhuman perfectionist hardworking type a people that the human is the vessel for the gift right that the somatic exists the as above so below thing is very real like your physical body like when you talk about clairvoyance like or any of your clair gifts right they run through your goddamn body if i am overworked underslept and hungry I can't tell if it's my intuition or my stomach growling. I have no idea what is happening. I have to be so in tune with my body's subtle signals all the time to hear my voices, to hear my gifts, to hear my guides. This little, like, this, this little Tamagotchi that I have to take care of. It has to be fed and watered and like supported and get playtime and get sleep to work optimally. Or no, I can't distinguish what are what are my subtle guidance systems over what are the very loud physical needs because your body will get loud as fuck. Exactly. Like, and, I am and won't be ignored. I am breaking. I am breaking. <laughs> and I, again, coach to coach, practitioner to practitioner, I have absolutely fucked some shit down for somebody else because I was not managing my own well-being. Mm got a download that I absolutely thought was something ended up being a projection because I was so off in my own personal integrity. And let's be real. you got people's, you know, people are coming to you sometimes with things that are big life things. You owe it to them to take care of yourself at that level. In my opinion. Please understand I think- that. Listen to it three times. Rewind it four times. Listen <laughs> to it again, everybody, because that was really, really valuable. Um, and I think that for a lot of our, like the healers, the givers, um, the people who are prone to putting themselves last and burning themselves out, you need to hear that like you are not of your highest service when you're not taking care of yourself. And like, sometimes we can't find it in ourselves to like, we, we can't motivate self-care for ourselves. But if you can't, if it helps you to source it for others and be like, no, I will be a better practitioner. I will be of better service when I am rested, when I am resourced, when I'm cared for. And that's what helps you do it. Then know that, rely on that, know it in your bones. And I know so many people who that is the, the, the medicine they give to everyone else, but they do not take it for themselves. Um, Yeah. Exactly. And I think what's so interesting that you're not hearing you say that so it's something that was so poignant and brilliant that you shared with me on the Zoom call that we had before was around like, oh, well, if you're this kind of motivated, then you absolutely would need for there to be something outside of your body that motivated you to take care of you. And that's a part of, I think, also why it's so important for spiritual entrepreneurs. And if any person that has that people pleasery, which, again, Uh, if you come to the planet with something to serve you sometimes usually will trip across the people pleaser in in, in your growth and energy we all have the same you know usually framework that is very similar in that there's some people who like you know you should be we should be able to tell you you should take care of you because taking care of you is what you should do and everyone should be able to go yes that's what we should do there's a good portion of folks that that's not the reality right if as long as it's not going to be for somebody else it's difficult for us to have that medicine or that mechanism early i think that like particularly when you're early in your journey first five ten years in your business or first five ten years even doing spiritual work you don't know enough to know to take care of yourself you're still in your gift and just trying to serve trying to serve trying to serve and having the external motivation of understanding that you are underserving your clients by not serving yourself one is a big deal and i also think you're underserving your clients 
and you're underserving your gift in and of itself to not actually build space for knowing how it works in your life and how it works on your human and how that then works in a business that is actually going to feed your human. Make sure you got lights on, you know what I mean? Make sure that you actually can have some joy. So maybe your gift could grow, God forbid. The size that your gift is now can be 10 times bigger if given water, sunlight, food, and energy. But the first thing that we do is give it out rather than think through how we can cultivate and amplify. I just got a little download and I'm just going to say it because I don't know who needs to hear it, but there's maybe a chance that you are in a little loop of restricting your resources and restricting your abundance and restricting your growth because you on a certain level know that if you were resourced, your gift would be 10 times bigger and you're scared of it. So if I stay burnt out and I can't serve at a higher level, then I don't have to get more visible and I don't have to get more resource and I don't have to deal with how powerful I really am. So let me just stay burnt out and stressed and small because this is where I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. La la la. So back to spiritual attacks. Because uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if we really got it. But like, describe for us, just imagine someone is at home and they're like, an accountant and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. There must be some accountant who listens to this podcast. What is a spiritual attack and why would someone spiritually attack you? Well, I mean, I think it can happen in a variety of ways and to be fair and to like to begin to name, I am not somebody who is like the historian on spiritual attacks to be able to give all of the inference, but things I've seen have been moments in which um, something is some other entity, some other energy is, attacking violently moving your energy time resources um on behalf of something else so it can look like dreams that are you know what i mean keep you up all night long and that can feel very violent i've seen it with people where it's been they replay trauma so folks have had trauma um and their dreams were like a constant replay like i've even heard folks say i've been sent a demon i've heard folks um you and i have had a conversation about folks spiritually attacking other folks like seeing you on the internet being jealous of whatever is happening and then sending negative work your way or sending their own version of their magic and their juju to undermine you and being on an internet as a public platform so that also means a lot of people are seeing your face and not all the people that see your face are wishing you well and typically spiritual practitioners don't always particularly if you are a burnout one (laughs) you're not really putting your protections in place because you're giving 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 so much not even thinking about doing this like particularly it can make you more susceptible to those energies even so much so i've heard people say like the evil eye just folks not meaning you well and watching you on the internet in and of itself can send negative energy to you that will show up to you and however that looks and can be described as an attack that would be kind of my thought around it and i think that that's really important to to think about is that we want you know, especially as business owners, as artists, as people who are trying to grow a a sustainable audience and customer base, it requires visibility. And I was just talking to a client this morning. She was like, I'm having this sudden influx of people asking me to do shit for free. Am I doing something wrong? And I was like, no, it's literally just because you're becoming more visible. And as we become more visible, we don't only attract exactly what we want. We attract more everything. And people see you more. They see your glow up. They see you promoting. They And there, there are some people whose thought process around this is like, now I can take from you. Now okay. you, you must have more to give. Now you owe me something. Now I'm entitled to more of you because you're sharing more of yourself. Um, and there are also going to be people who watch you specifically because they're jealous, specifically because they're clocking what you're doing in your business and trying to reverse engineer it in your own, specifically because they have hating ass hearts. I don't know. People are just weird. And we don't know who all is watching. And I don't like to think about those people in general. I try to imagine that like, I'm not I'm not here for them. My energy is not for them. I don't like to give them a lot of my attention. But to not acknowledge that they're there leaves me open for, at the very least, negative energy being sent my way. And in the same way that if you're a very sensitive person going to, like, a a crowded 
festival, a concert, like now you're in a room with tons and tons of energy and not all of that energy is going to feel good in your body. And you may have practices that you do to, you know, um, like downride the energy high of being in a big group of people, right? So like maybe you go with your hair covered. Maybe you don't shake hands with people. Maybe you don't hug everyone. Maybe you have a thing where like, when you walk in your house, you immediately take your outside clothes off and you like bathe or you have things that you do to help your body recover from being in a space where you've been around lots and lots of different people's energy and maybe pick some of those things up or feel overwhelmed. Um, the same thing is happening online and building a practice of energetic protection in your life around your interactions on social media and even if you're not a particularly like spiritually leaning person, if you notice that being on social media makes you feel anxious, you notice that after you've been scrolling your feed, like your heart feels a little racy, your hands feel a little clammy, there's stuff happening in your body that you're just not, there's tons of spectrums of energy happening around us and information around us that we're not always aware of. So like even having a a similar practice of after you get off your phone, you go wash your hands. You go maybe like give yourself a little sweep, brush your arms off, but you do something that helps you say like whatever it is that I'm picking up when I'm sharing my, my image, my actual face on the internet, I'm just sending back anything that's not, not well wishes. I'm not available for anything that's not support. I'm closing the door for any energies that are negative and I'm like restoring and calling back into myself all of my own approval, all of my own um, support, all of my own energy, all of my own care, and kind of like closing that back down. Because I don't think this technology is new. I don't even think we're aware of what a fucking energetic drain it is to be rolling around in other people's homes in our hand. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah. And I mean, and to, to your earlier point, like there's no more sorcerers on staff who are paying attention to like, hey, BT dubs, you know, in, two, in 2021, this many people had this kind of spiritual experience with this technology. No one's tracking that quite yet. So we really don't know. We really don't know. <laughs> Which is to my earlier point. That was before we started recording in case you were like, what was the part about sorcery? That was just before we, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about sorcery. Um, and we were talking about there being a time and a place where like, right, if you're a pharaoh, you have staff sorcerers. You have people on board who are just employed to make sure that the spiritual part of your realm is supported and protected and the magic that is needed to protect the kingdom is being done. Um, and you don't even necessarily do that yourself. You have someone on staff who does it for you, whose job is to come through and be like, oh, the reason that the crops are bad this year is because we haven't made enough offerings to this particular deity. And we need to like do that on behalf of the realm so that the crops grow. These are important mm-hmm. things. Right. Things we miss in a, in a technological and modern world. Right. Uh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait until my business is at the point that I have a full-time staff sorcerer. Let me get on that. Same. Same. <laughs> These are my uh, Q, Q4 2023 goals. Yes. Staff sorcerer. Staff sorcerer. Full-time. Full-time <laughs> W2 employee. They're like, staff sorcerer. Like, don't ask me questions, tax man. Exactly. <laughs> we pay well and early. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so we've talked about spiritual attacks. Let's talk about, mm, we touched on this very briefly, but kind of the shifting, and I really think of this as archetype work for myself, but like mm-hmm. that the personality and the mode, the vibe you need to be in to do your work is not the same vibe and mode you need to be in to manage the business of your work. I had one Mm -hmm. beloved client, um, Ira X Armstrong, um, who called this the whoa, 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 the work, the work of the work and the work of the work of the work. So your work is what you do. The work of the work is like the, the promotional materials, the scheduler, and then the work of the work of the work is your own spiritual guidance and protection, making sure you get enough food, making sure you're doing your self-care, right? Like you have the work, the work of the work, and the work of the work of the work. (laughs) I love that. I think it's so helpful. Truly. That's awesome. I like that it's whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got the whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, And all three need to be in balance. Like it's a little triangle, a little, little triangle of a little pyramid of support needed for you to thrive. 
I distracted myself. What was my question, ADHD brain? Uh, we were talking about in regards to the, oh, the shift, the, the shift. need for the shift. There we go. Right. I'm not cutting it out. You guys, I'm leaving it. This is my, this is my real brain <laughs> on a Friday. This is what you get. What was, what were we talking about? How do we navigate this shift between the person you need to be as a practitioner and the person you need to be to run your business? Yeah. I think honestly, first steps first is finding the time and space to know oneself in both of those situations. Because before you can answer a question about who you need to be, you need to know what that needs. What does your, what does your, first of all, what is your business? What does your business require from you? And what's needed to maintain that version, that archetype, that energy, that embodiment? What does your gift, your practitioner work, your client work need from you? Um, and what does it take from you to be able to maintain that? The work of the work of the work is where I wish people would start. And they like to start with the work. But we really, I think, need to start with the work of the work of the work. I love that. And it's interesting in elemental entrepreneurship, the way that I recommend people do it is earth first. And it's because we start with sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about earth as it is right now under capitalism, right? And our relationship to earth is primarily extractive. And our relationship to the earth is also our relationship to the body, right? It is extractive. We're trying to get um, as much as we possibly can and give back as little as possible. And if we're mm -hmm. shifting to a new earth, if we're shifting into a new paradigm, to me, that's one of sustainability. How do we be in sustainable reciprocity with the earth itself and with our own bodies, with our work, with our community? What does that mean? Most of us don't even know what it means because I'm sure you have the same thing with your clients. When I start asking people, like, how much does your life cost? <laughs> the stress, the panic, the guilt, the crying. People are like embarrassed about their, what their life expenses are. And just the idea that like, no, no, like life costs money. I'm not asking you to apologize for how much your life costs. I'm not asking you and will never ask you to budget for the very bare minimum of only having your bills be covered. That's, That's how we get that burnout thing. Like what's sustainable is like, is that work of the work of the work? How much time off do you need? How many days a week do you need with your beloveds and your family? How much time every day do you need with your children if you have children? How much does childcare cost? How much do you need for healthy food every day? How much sleep do you need? How much time do you need for movement? What are the expenses of taking care of yourself? And then from there, how many hours do you have left that you could work? That's where we're going to figure out the magic number of like, what do you need to earn or what do you need to charge is starting from the assumption that you're going to have a well-resourced, sustainable life where you're not going to burn out on this business in six months. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's so interesting the way that you said that part of, I think we both will see as coaches, people come, that's why you come to a strategist and a coach. I can build you anything. I can build you a profitable business any, with anything. Most people don't start with the vision. What do you want your life to look like? And then let's build a business that fits that. They want to try to build a life based around their business where we can build a business around your life. Truly. Like, and there are so many profit models. There are so many accesses to sustainability. If money is the conversation that we don't have to think as small of something that is bare minimum, because I think what you just said is so poignant. Bare minimum is not sustainable. It will not last. And it's tied right up in where we started because everything is everything. So there's internalized capitalism. And then there's like the witch wound the healer wound, the starving artist wound, the humble healer wound, like all of these things that say like, I have to ask for the bare minimum because it's not spiritually aligned for me to say that I want to be well resourced as a practitioner, right? Like, and for artists, it's like, well, it's not practical for me to say that I want to be well resourced as a working artist. And so I'm going to come in apologetic and saying, oh, well, like, you know, my rent is $1,500 a month. So I guess I could get by on $2,500. The fuck you could. Exactly. What and would happen I, I, if you needed to replace your car battery? What would happen if you had to take your kid to the doctor? Like, this is not a sustainable, like, we can't, we can't continue to ask anyone but you know my artists my healers the people who are literally on this planet to move culture forward literally we cannot 
be expected to live one emergency away from homelessness and give it the highest level. We cannot. And to be real, to be real, you're not serving at the highest level with that level of scarcity in your reality. I'm gonna just keep it a buck. As somebody that looks at performance and impact. And so many of these, you know, so many of my people come to me and I want to do this big thing and I want to heal this and I'm so ready and nah, nah, nah. you are not going to make it with scarcity as your building block in this particular space because you will burn out. It is just not sustainable. And it, it, I find so much that the medicine that so many of our healers it, with those typically wounds want to talk so much about the abundance of their clients, but that mentality around lack and limitation goes into more than just the way that they think about their services. They also don't think that they deserve to have the home that they should live in. They also don't think that their kids even deserve to have the food that they like, well, it's better than all they, they, right? When you really sit down and think about it and I ask them, I really challenge folks at the heart level, are you, what, what do you think that you deserve? And what are you, what worthiness conversation are you bringing from your business into everywhere else in your life? Because that's, I think it's a point to what you were saying of why folks cry. <laughs> you ask them how much their life costs. Because I think it sometimes hits, gets them hitting that ceiling of who are you believing that you, what are you believing that you deserve first and foremost? Yeah. And we forget that there's not like, um, um, there's a piece there with healers and entrepreneurs that it's like a badge of honor to be the starving artist that sometimes we also have to release. There's an ego piece sometimes that also has to be released around being the, the starving, you know what I mean? Yogi in the hut, you know what I mean? Somewhere. And like, you know, you're barely sustained, just like you said a little bit earlier, what does that also make available that you get to run from in the bigness of your vision also? Right. We got to kind of those pieces are our mindset pieces that I think that people take for granted in meeting and the opportunity to meet. Something is coming up for me and I'm, I'm forgetting where I first heard this. Um, and so I apologize for not citing it correctly, but I heard a conversation once about a difference between like Buddhist spirituality and like mystic kind of like Sufi spirituality. I'm hoping that that's right. But the conversation was about how like in the the Buddhist tradi- tradition of like um, non-materialism and renouncing all of your material possessions and and having nothing and dedicating yourself to only your spiritual practice in the most austere way and realizing you need nothing. He started as a prince who had everything and needed to find his spiritual enlightenment by renouncing the everything and realizing that all of that was illusion. Whereas the mystics, on the other hand, started with nothing and needed to understand that all of the material abundance was a game and that they had the ability to tap into the energetic of having everything. And then they could play with like, oh, well, now now I realize that I could take or leave this, right? But mm-hmm. that like, it's not that either one of those is more spiritual or better, but it's interesting to consider that when you're looking at a spiritual tradition that comes from the idea of renouncing all of your material possessions, that motherfucker started rich. <laughs> Mm. isn't that interesting (laughs) isn't that interesting it's something to consider um there's a different wound there right like no matter where you start from because we do especially like under uh, late stage capitalism inherently think of oh okay here's the other thing you just touched on the difference between worth value and price we have those things all conflated as the same thing right so like if i'm crying because of how much my life costs it's because i see a big number And I immediately am like, am I worth that big number? Worth, value, and price are not the same thing. We use all those words interchangeably in this monetary system, but they are not the same thing. And conversations around worth, value, and price all get very tangled up with all of our other weird narratives, right? Our starving artist narrative, our humble healer narrative, our like devout, spiritual, austere, renounce all of your worldly possessions so that you can be taken seriously as a spiritual practitioner narrative, our mm-hmm. um, ancestral lineages around mm-hmm. worth, value, money, our, you know, gender stories, like all of these things get mixed up and we bring them all to our business. And if you are here, it's probably because your business is based on like your gift, something that feels like it is you and comes through you and 
is part of your worth, like what you tie your worth to as a human. Mm. And then you go to put a dollar price on it and it's a whole conflama. They're not the same. They're not the same. Not even close. Not even close. No, but nothing. You could never put a value. You could never put a price. I mean, truthfully, we might be able to put a value, but we can never put a price. You could never really put a price. Amount. There's not a dollar amount that exists. No. And I think that where we really can get into it, what's interesting, I think particularly about spiritual practitioners and entrepreneurs, that I find where, where the big bags typically lie when we're having conversations is because spiritual work, you can put a value on. They just don't teach spiritual practitioners how to do that. Mm, say more. Like um, you sit in a Reiki session, and I clear your blocks around the relationship that you have with your man or the relationship that you have with older men in your relationship and then, or that you have relationships within your family, right? And then all of a sudden, um, the older man that happens to be your boss is giving you a raise. And now all of a sudden, there's a very monetary value to our Reiki session. That $99 Reiki session all of a sudden had a six-figure value for your client. Now, when you can start to explain value, around the things that your gift does, then we can have a different conversation around price because it's the ability to be able to articulate said value. And I think that's also sometimes where sometimes I find that my clients can find a bit more freedom. Um, and because I think that the worth work is work and you're going to be doing it for some time because yeah. that's the, that's what we do, right? That's It's the work that we can be doing. And I think being able to understand the value you bring will help you understand a difference around pricing that is something different than the humble healer model. And I think that's also tied, like while we're getting into all of the dimensions, let's bring in the dimension of time. Um, yeah. That's also <laughs> about separating the idea that you are selling your time. Mm. I don't sell my time. And so people like sometimes they're like, well, can I really charge X, Y, Z for a one hour session? I'm not charging you for a one hour session. I'm pricing my work based on the value that you will experience in your life from the work we do together in that hour. I don't sell my time because you can't afford it. It is. Thank you. Thank you. And when we, that's also like some of that is coming out of an employee mindset model, right? Where you're like, oh, I make X number of dollars per hour at my job. So when I'm building my own business, I just think, well, I'm going to charge the same amount per hour as I make at my job. No, when we're building a business, we're charging based on the value to the client's life, the transformation that the work will provide. That being said, like I charge a different amount for business coaching than I do for life coaching. And part of the reason I do that is because if I'm helping you build a business, you're going to make money, direct money off of the work that we're doing together. You should see that investment back during our coaching together, hopefully. Whereas with life coaching, sometimes there may be a monetary shift that someone sees, but sometimes people are coming to me and they like, they have a day job and they're really working through like confidence issues, or maybe they're working through like healing body image issues that may not directly translate into a monetary gain in their life. And so, no, I don't charge exactly the same for life coaching work as I do for business coaching work. And there's a reason behind that. And it's not because either is less valuable in my client's life. It's a different client. And so like looking at those things for yourself too, as a practitioner is like, who is the work for? And are you charging appropriately to like who the work is for, who you want to serve? And then what are, what's the transformation they're going to get out of it and pricing it appropriately to them. But another thing to consider with value and the idea of appropriate pricing is that value is entirely subjective and in the eye of the beholder. Because there are people out there who will pay thousands of dollars for like a Gucci belt. Mm-hmm. And I do not value that. And it's not that like, it's not that, va- I'm, but I'm like, that's not something I would ever consider. If I'm like, for what you paid for that belt, I could have gone on vacation. But for me, I value experiences more than I value things. And so to me, mm-hmm. I would never pay that much for that item, but there are so many people who would pay it. There are so many people who value it. There are other people who would never pay what I would pay for a vacation. 
And they would think that that was crazy. And I'm like, no, for me, my value is in this experience of travel that I cannot have any other way. That's worth that money for me. There are people who would never pay what I've paid for spiritual work or coaching. But to me, the value of that in my life is so high that I do not question that investment. And so I think some of our practitioners are out here thinking, they're thinking about the people who don't value their work and trying to price their work low enough to convince people who do not value what you do that you're worth investing in. Mm. It makes no sense. Literally. Price your work for the people who see the value in it appropriately and be like, this is what, A, this is what my life costs, so I have to charge this much. And B, my ideal clients value my work in such a way that they want me to be able to pay my bills and be okay. And anyone who doesn't want that for me and looks at me and thinks I should like somehow magically do my work for free is not my ideal client and I'm not even marketing to them. Exactly. And to be real, let's really think about it from your client's perspective. If your bills aren't paid and your light cuts off, who's doing the Zoom for their business? Who, if you can't sustain yourself, then where do they source their business and strategy? If they have a vested interest in you being sustainable. Right. <laughs> like, you're like mid healing and your, your practitioner's lights get cut off. <laughs> like the Zoom goes dark. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm half healed. Right. Look, which again, been there, but you know what I mean? Like you got to really think about it. Like You got to really, really think about it when you're going through that, like that, the, the, the mental anguish of, of trying to price for your haters, really ask yourself in that moment. You know what I mean? Who am I serving with this mentality? Who wins by me thinking this way? And if it's not you, let's really think about this differently. If it's not your clients, let's actually be thinking about it differently. Because if the person you're pricing for would have never paid you anyway, let's really be thinking about if they get to be your target audience. Because no. at the end of the day, something's driving this car. If, if it's not you and it's not your clients, then it's them. Do we really want to give them that much power in your business? I also think something you just said was so interesting that particularly when I find my, my, my clients that need to move into a bigger realm of what they're charging. Right, where we're moving from the hour exchange to something bigger. Always come up against this with clients that are around, um, like what you said. Well, I know because once we can get past even you're paying how much for your life, how much you want your life to live, and that's what the price looks like, then we can get past even upper from there. If you can articulate the value and it's the right value for the right person, the price become something that is contingent on the transformation. And people don't think, I think, deep enough. They want to go wide, right? And they don't think about, if you want to charge more, solve a bigger problem, right? If you want to have an expanded, like if you, again, if you want to up your prices or if you want to up the service that you give, then, or if you want to up the um, amount that you can bring in, up the level of service you can provide, Grab two practitioners together and put something together for somebody. Actually think about your client and think about what are the things that you could actually cure in their life, solve in their life, move in their life. Think about the areas of life that maybe they're not thinking about. Because if you can add what your gift is to those things that are drastically important to them that they're already paying for, you can really do something about articulating a different kind of value. And you can charge at a different kind of price point. Because for every person that thing that they value, like you said, the Gucci bag or whether it's the vacation, whatever that thing is in their life. And most of the time, spiritual practitioners do a really good job of fixing big things, the kind of things that you have been going to therapy for 20 years for, or the kind of thing that you've been dealing with since you were a child your whole entire life. When people can remove that thing from their life, people are really happy to put time, effort, and investment into it if you can articulate that journey and that value for them also which I think sometimes people skip and then they're like, well, I don't know why I would just charge more. Why would I raise my prices? Like this is, this isn't worth this at this amount. It maybe is not worth it to you because you haven't yet figured out how big of a problem it solves for your client. Yeah. And then I think on that thing of like pricing for your haters and catering your business for your haters, like, right. <laughs> the phrase that keeps coming to mind is play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Right? Um, if you are, constantly running yourself through the like um all of the negative things that have been said to you that you think other people might say when they see your business and your whole business strategy is trying to like 
head off the haters at the pass by being like, oh, well, people aren't going to think that it's worth this for what I do, so I'm going to undercharge. And then you get people who don't value what you do because that's the energy that you're showing up with the energy of my service isn't valuable. And that's what you get back. And then you're like, now I'm really burnt out and frustrated because I keep attracting these people who don't value me. You don't value you. (laughs) Um, And I'm thinking very specifically about a client I worked with who, when she first came to me, very powerful spiritual practitioner. All of her work was by donation. Um, She just like let people pay whatever. And Mm -hmm. she's a medium and a very good one. And she was like, I fucking hate doing mediumship. I hate it. And I was like, why? And she was like, well, first of all, like people show up to me like skeptical with their arms crossed, like, well, show me what you can do. Mm -hmm. And they have a very specific person they want to come through who is not always who comes through. And then they're mad at me or like, they don't understand that like the way that my gifts show up, I get these certain hits or pings and I'm going to offer you things and I need you to confirm. But if you're coming in skeptical, trying to disprove it, you might purposefully not try to confirm things. And then we just have this really uncomfortable situation. And I was like, "Mm, what, what would you need to get paid for a mediumship session to show up excited to do it? And she gave me a number that was like, you know, over $500. And I was like, then that's what it costs. And she was like, well, I don't know if people will pay it. And I was like, let me tell you one thing. No one is going to pay you $600 for a mediumship session who is coming in to cross their arms and be skeptical. Someone again. is coming in by donation. They might show up being like, well, if I don't like what you say, I'm not going to pay you anything. That's why you're getting those people. Say it again. But if you price it where you're like, look, I know what my gifts are. I know this is legit. I know what this is worth. I know the transformation I see in people's lives when they get closure from a grandparent or something like that and what it's really worth to them to have those conversations with their relatives that I can facilitate. And I'm not interested in anyone coming into my space with anything less than like excitement and enthusiasm for making that connection. Cause it actually throws my work off. This is what it's worth to me to charge it. She had to go through a bunch of stuff to charge it, but I was like, well, look, if we put it out there and no one pays it, you don't have to do mediumship and you're annoyed by it. So like, great, don't do it. Win, win. She put it out and people booked it. And she was like, oh shit. And I was Mm. like, right. And none of those people are going to show up looking to disprove your gift. Exactly. You are getting the client who's the match for what you're presenting. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that sometimes when I have conversations like this with people like you and I, who understand this to a certain extent, because we've spent time learning enough about business and the way that it works to be able to kind of like Robin Hood it to our communities of people who maybe don't always understand as much as they work, but it ain't like it's fucking rocket science. Like, you know, like these are easy concepts, but I don't think enough. I wish more people spent the time doing that going, okay, this applies over here. Let's figure out how I can make it applicable over here. So that it actually works so that it actually makes sense. And I believe in it. This is also why we got to be in community. You're not supposed to have every fucking gift. Yeah. Yeah. Source your gifts. Absolutely. And I will say for both of us, and I I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure this is true. You and I did not come to this business information miraculously. Like you said, this wasn't on your radar of what you were going to do. I didn't innately have a skill for business. I went out and learned all of this stuff on purpose so that I could bring it back to my people. Um, And also because I realized at a certain point that like there are people out there. I'm going to say this my way and just like take it how you want to take it. But I would see in my artistic community, there were people out there who are – I have enough taste to look at their work and be like, that work is hot garbage and you are choreographing on the Grammys. Why is that? It's not because you're better at the art than me. You have a a business acumen that I don't have. Mm -hmm. You're putting yourself out there in a way that I'm not. Mm -hmm. You have done some inner work around your confidence to take these big swings that I haven't done. And for a long time, and I see a lot of practitioners, both artists and healers doing this, we um, misinterpret maybe sometimes willfully um, the data. So we're like, I'm not getting the gigs that I want, or I'm not getting the clients I want. I'm not getting the opportunities I want 
I must not be good enough at what I do or people must not think I'm good enough at what I do. So I'm going to go spend thousands more dollars in more training on what I do. And then you're out there with all the training in the world and your business is still not businessing. And you're like, oh, well, I'm just bad at business or people don't value me or I'm just not good at this. There's a certain point where you have to stop investing in skills related to what you do and you have to start investing in learning all of the business skills or bringing in the team members that you need to fill the gaps of that the part. people you don't have. Oh, it's so true. It's so incredibly true. And I think it is those two. I find that those two mindsets really do fight. Practitioners that are great at what they do, really, really, I have found, it's, it almost makes sense that it's not your natural skill set to know how to business and sell it, to package, sell it, productize it, business and sell it. And I don't think that we're designed as human beings to do both of, to do all of those things at the same time. But we're in such a capitalistic, individualistic society that we think that if we don't have it all within ourselves, we can't source that anywhere else. When you can get help, like that, you know what I mean? I think folks relate to help. Like you said, they spend so much time beating themselves up that they think that they're unworthy. Right. That they don't even look out to go like, oh, actually, I probably should just ask somebody to help me out with this. And I think we get into a thing of like, if you were good at it, you would be making money at it. Like, mm. like that that's a magical thing that happens. In the arts world, I see this a lot because we deify celebrity and vilify working artists, right? So mm. every step of the way along being a working artist, people around you are going to be project all their fears onto you and be like, well, you should have a backup plan. And what if it doesn't work out? And aren't you afraid? What if you don't have a day job? Blah, blah, blah. Are you really going to move to LA or New York with no plan? You know, like they're really going to try to convince you that what you're doing is scary and dangerous. And then one day you like are a regular on a TV show and they're like, I knew you were a success all along. I always <laughs> fucked with you. <laughs> and they did not. But like, that's how we are. We're really into celebrity, but we project all of this fear. Like you think about the big, any big say singer, for instance, and you know that their whole path is littered with a bunch of people who are like, you're never going to make it who are all now like, I went to high school with Ariana Grande. Like, bitch, exactly. you were mean to her. Like, be honest. <laughs> she didn't go to high school. She was a Disney kid. Anyway, but like, um, there's this feeling that if you were good enough, you would be famous. You would be rich. Someone would discover you and pluck you from obscurity and just, like, give you a new life. And even like for my people who are in music, like that doesn't even exist anymore. Like record departments don't have, they don't have A&R like they used to where somebody would find you playing at a cafe and be like, we are going to develop your career. Now what they want to see is, do you have a million streams on your own? Do you already have millions of followers? Are you already touring? They want to see that you're already a business before they even consider talking to you. Before they look at your artistry. Right. And it's the same thing in any other of the art fields now. It's like, they're like, how many Instagram followers do you have? Like, have you built your own business before? We're not taking any financial risks on you. And so I think we still kind of have some of the old mythology in our upbringing, in our indoctrination, that if we were really good, we would be making money. And the fact that we're not making money hand over fist must just mean that we're not good enough at it yet. Yeah. And that is uh, not what's happening. <laughs> no, no. And the amount of mediocre people that are multimillionaires goes to show that that's not real. It's not I real. You, I'm in these rooms. They're mediocre as hell. Oh, it's so mediocre. And less than. They're, uh, the amount, if, if skill set was the dictator of being celebrity or on or financially independent or however much people made, it <laughs> so many, the tides would be turned. It truly is not. And I, and I think it's so hearing you say that it's wild to see because there is such this parallel, I think, with artistry. When I think about artists, I think of like there is a natural God-given gift talent to certain pieces um, that I think people expect business to be like a natural God-given gift when that is just a skill set of things you learn, like managing a checkbook. Yeah. And, and no one taught us. No one taught us. Like, let's be very clear. Employee skills are the worst skills for business ownership. You're going to unlearn all of your employee skills. 
literally. And you're going to have to unlearn a lot of your freelance gig economy skills to run a business. They're very different skill sets. So if you've never gone out and sought this information and learned it and practiced it, there is no way you would know it. It's not inherent. Yeah. And it's not intuitive either, to be real. And once you learn it, it is very much like a PEMDAS situation. It's a very simple formula that works every time and it's rinse and repeatable, but it is so counterintuitive to like employee culture or like you said, freelance gig culture or capitalism in general. <laughs> like it, It's so counterproductive to what you would need to be the cog in the wheel to have to be at the helm of your own little mini version of that. Very different skill sets. Yeah. And just one last thing I want to say on that is that like, the conflation, especially in the internet, social media realm of having an audience with having a business. There are a lot of people out there you see that do have the big following that may have some celebrity in both the art world and the spiritual world who are making no money. My God, the amount. No money. And you see them and you think that because they have this big platform, they must be doing big things financially, but there are people out there who had millions of followers who drop a t-shirt line or a makeup line that bombs because having an audience is not the same as having a customer base. Building a, a group of people who want to watch you is not the same as building a group of people who trust you enough to buy from you. And those are very different skill sets too. Literally. And uh, the gaslight of the world is telling everybody that the, it's, the, the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like the current gaslight that we're all in. So just make sure that you're aware that that is some gaslighting shit. Yeah. I think about, I think all the time about my girlfriends who have been um, professional cheerleaders for like NFL or NBA. And what a lot of people don't know is that those girls make like $25 a game. Many of them have full-time jobs or have to live at home with their parents. And so they assume that like, oh, because you're uh, a Raiderette, you must be making good money. No, those girls are paid dick. And like, they are just as much athletes as the men on that field. They are putting their bodies in not just as much, no, just as much risk. They're on the sidelines. They could get tackled too. They're putting their bodies in incredible risk. They go through incredible training. They're crazy athletes. They work their asses off. They do media appearances. They make no money. But people assume that because you're associated with the name, that you must be being financially compensated. That is not the case. And that's just true in so many industries, both in the arts and in the influencer realm, being associated with big names does not necessarily mean you are doing big business. Yeah. And the, and what I find to be so interesting is the opposite is also true. The amount of millionaires that I know that have less than a hundred social media followers off the charts because at the end of the day depending on what you're selling you don't need a million people to watch you do it you need to sell probably 20 a year yeah my business hit six figures before i had 1500 followers on my coaching instagram and i talk to my clients all the time about the fact that like they come to me and they're like my following's not big enough my following's not big enough my following's not big enough and i'm looking at their following i'm like you have 900 people a 3% conversion rate on 900 people is math I can't do in my head, but <laughs> is good enough for you to be making money if you're consistently promoting to your 900 people. And if we paid some attention to make sure that it's 900 of the right people who want to buy from you. Again, I think that's so interesting to me. And then again, quiet as it's kept, sips very hot tea. I didn't even have an internet following. I don't even have a website and she's doing well. Yeah, I don't have a website. <laughs> I also do not have a website. Um, yeah, people, oh, yeah, that, I can't launch my business yet because I don't have a big enough, fancy enough website. That's the story that we tell to not put ourselves out there. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm not making money is because I don't have a big enough following is a lie that we tell ourselves to keep ourselves from putting ourselves out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All day, all day. And, and, and to be fair, there are a lot of people making a lot of money off lying to you in that way. And part of the reason why you're lying to yourself is because it's, it's a paid ass business to gaslight you in this space. They, they will make you feel in that way to be, to be fair. It ain't like you made it up on your own and you don't have to keep it. I could talk to you all day. I know we have to go. I guess the last thing I will say about that is also just like a people lying to you in that way and B how rapidly the online business space changes and how rapidly social media changes the online business space. Because it wasn't 
but just a few years ago that having a really impressive website may have helped you with business. It's just not true today because that this the way that business is moving now in the online space I made a commitment that everyone who does elemental entrepreneurship gets lifetime access to it. And part of the reason is because this information changes so fast that I've committed myself to being a student of online business. And I'm just going to have to keep changing, especially all of the material about marketing and um, social media marketing. That's going to change every single year. Literally. It's changing as we speak. And back to Portia's earlier point, that's why you hire us is because you don't have to dedicate yourself to staying on top of those trends. You can just dedicate yourself to being the best you can at your business so that you can make the money that you need to hire other people who spend the time being good at following those trends, who can come to you and say, I made us a TikTok strategy. This is what we're doing now for this year. We're going to venture into this. And you don't have to do that. Like that doesn't, ha- you don't have to do all the things in your business. But yes. You do that shit. Literally. And like what I last thing to reflect as you say that what I heard you say is like, and what I hope that people are listening to this here, the playing field has been leveled. If you don't have the skills, you have access to be able to source somebody that has the skill to be able to give it to you. If you don't even have the worth yet, you have access to somebody you can borrow there, borrow your coach's worth in you. (laughs) It's part of the reason why so many people who do so well so fast do so well when they get a coach, because all the things that you're struggling and you're lacking in, if you did the right choice of picking the right kind of person, they could hold that space for you while you're developing into the next version, while you're holding yourself into that next, what it looks like. I hope that people leave this hearing. The, the doors are open. If you want it, come get it. If you want it for yourself, allow yourself to have it and don't hear any of the things that society, the social media, the internet, the marketing, the 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 executives tell you and gaslight you about what you need to be successful. You have you and you made a really good choice to listen to the podcast. So you have someone here that you can lean on to for your success. Make that choice today. Make the choice for yourself. Don't let this be one more thing that you listen to and do nothing about. Ugh. Ugh. Mic drop. Podcast over. Where (laughs) can people find you? Where do you like to be found? (laughs) I love to be found. Come find me on Instagram at Portia.TheCreator. It's where I'm doing all of my peopling. It's where I'm um, dragging my fun CEOs, you know what I mean? Because we can. That's the easiest place to come find me, come hang out with me. And particularly if you're looking for any type of support in this area, like let me help link you with uh, Sarah over here as well and help support you in getting it. When I tell you all of the options are available, they're available. If you're sitting here thinking about like, oh, no, no, I'm a paper, they're available. Come, come talk to us. Come be in community about that. Come find me there. That's the easiest place to find me. Yay. Thank you so much. And we'll link Portia in the show notes, of course. Thank you so much as always for being here with us. We know that you could be anywhere else and you choose to hang out with us and we appreciate you so much. Uh, and we love you and have a beautiful rest of your day. Okay. Love you. Bye. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time. So many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at intuitive edge coaching or join my Facebook group unstuck group to suggest topics or people that you'd like to hear me interview on this show. Have a great day.